Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Make sure to stick through to the end to see the drawing for the winner of the giveaway of Rourke's Clear NES Shell. I talked about that last week. And also, anybody who prefers to listen on iTunes podcast service, it's sort of fixed. I had to unsubscribe and resubscribe on my phone, and when I did it, everything seemed to work. And I tested it on a few friends' phones. Basically, I had to unfollow myself, then you know, double swipe up to close the app, reopen the app, research for retro RGB, and then everything appeared. But it's still not working right through the iTunes software or direct on their website. I, I, I don't know. I emailed them so many times, and they keep emailing me back saying, yeah, just do this, case is closed, and it never works. So <laughs> I guess we're on our way. So if that's your preferred listening service, at least there's a fix, uh, at, at least if you're doing it from your phone or something. So basically just unfollow, close the app, reopen the app, and then you know research and refollow again. Sorry for all of this. I really don't know what the heck happened in the first place. None of it makes sense, but oh well. Anyway, on to the podcast. Version 2.0 of the USB to DB15 project has just been released, and it's essentially the same exact as the original one, but everything is integrated onto one board. For anybody watching on the video version of this, uh, the original version 1.2 that I actually just received yesterday uh, has two boards stacked on top of each other, and this new version 2.0 should be pretty much the same, but everything is integrated on one board, making it much easier to manufacture. Now, this is an open source project that takes USB controllers and converts them to the DB15 standard so you could use it on a Neo Geo or for super guns, which I believe is the primary use of these. It's the pretty much the same exact pinout for both. And the list of compatible USB controllers is getting very long at this point. Um, there's a lot of stuff on there, including the Damon Byte retro controller adapters, allowing you to use your controllers from original consoles through this thing as well, which is pretty neat. Um, if you're interested in this, definitely check out the GitHub. You could purchase them directly through the creators on the GitHub, but it is an open source project, and I believe they're looking to get these manufactured in bulk and sell it through a reputable reseller. And that's my hope, because while I am so unbelievably grateful and appreciative for open source projects, I'm also really excited when people get to just click a button and buy them. Because while I could probably pull off assembling this without too much trouble, uh, I just don't have the time. So that's why I was able to just purchase one directly. Uh, and hopefully there'll be a nice custom case made for these and you'll be able to just click a buy it now link and have one shipped to you. So we'll of course keep everybody updated as to the project uh, progress of this project. But for now, version 2.0 is looking pretty awesome. And I just suggest uh, checking out the GitHub if you want any more info or if you'd like to order one directly. The Mr. Discord has been hosting live podcasts that they're calling stage events that so far have been hosted by Artemio and feature different contributors to the Mr. Project to talk about the software or hardware that they've created and basically just to, to dive deep into a lot of the cool stuff that many of us like to talk about. Uh, after the events are over, they're posted on both Spotify and YouTube as audio-only podcasts. YouTube, of course, just have a picture placeholder, but it's still audio-only. And I think they've been awesome. I really would strongly recommend anybody who's interested in the behind the scenes stuff that goes into the Mr. Project give these a listen or just fans of the people involved because there's been a lot of cool people that have been contributing so far. I believe there's been two that have been posted to Spotify at least at the time of this recording and I believe either another stage event has just happened or is about to happen so you should see that up there on the third one as well. Um, so just basically, if you like behind the scenes info about all of this awesome different nerd talk, I would subscribe to that podcast and maybe even try to catch them live if the time allows. 
A mini emulation version of the Taito Egret 2 arcade machine has just been announced for release next March, so March of 2022. It's $170 and has a screen that pops out and rotates just like the original Egret 2. There's also an expansion controller with a trackball and a spinner offered at 110 and another stick option as well, and I think even a controller option, and some different bundles available. So if you're interested in this, I would take a look at the main post. Uh, the teaser video is pretty neat. It shows the, the mini LCD screen rotating. But to be honest, I while I normally don't like these mini consoles at all, I think that most people end up just leaving them on a shelf as a decoration, and I don't think most people would ever enjoy them as actual gaming machines. Machines. I think this one's the coolest I've seen so far, just because you could rotate the screen in it. Um, uh, you know, I know that's a gimmick, and I know I'm telling people to buy a, a toy that you could barely even game on, but it just seems like such a neat thing. And I always like vertically oriented shooters as well. So just having the ability to pop out that little LCD screen and rotate it is pretty neat. Also, another very interesting thing about this one that sets it apart from the rest. More games can supposedly be added via an SD slot in the side. And there's a bunch of games now, some of which are cool, most of which probably just look like they were able to get uh, get the licensing pretty cheap. Um, and there's even an entirely different set of games for the trackball expansion controller. And I would assume that in the course of the next year, there would be uh, some more games added to it. But the fact that you could rotate the screen and add more games, whether officially or, or hacked, whatever, but adding a, an SD card is certainly easier than dealing with any kind of other internal hacks. I don't know. This seems like a lot of fun. This seems like one that I would like to give a chance to. Um, I just am always leery about these because they're always very fun. But when you sit down and actually try to have a good gaming experience on it, most people prefer pretty much anything else. Real-sized controller, real-sized screen, better emulation. But that's all just speculation. Hopefully a year from now we'll roll around and we'll all be able to test it and maybe this will be the coolest of the bunch. But if you're interested, definitely check out the post. Mike Chi just posted another update to the RetroTINK 5X firmware, so I figured I would go through and talk about all of the additions and changes. The first thing added is now more options for the low-pass filter. When the RetroTINK 5X was released, it just had on and off, and then in the last firmware update, Mike tweaked that a little bit, but I guess some Sega Saturn consoles were having jailbar issues as a result. So now, just to fix it for everybody, there's multiple options. Off, light, medium, and strong. And you could see in the animated GIF I embedded in the post that off and light show a lot of jail bars. Not too bad, but they're visible on my Sega Saturn, and medium and strong have it completely eliminated. So if your Saturn was a model that had much worse jail bars than this, you should be able to totally fix it just by toggling one of the modes. I think Mike's original thought was try to make as little options as possible, at least at first, so people would understand how to use it pretty easy, but this, I think, was the right answer. Um, I think most people could leave it on medium and be totally fine, maybe even leave it on strong. I mean, the only thing you would lose on strong is a hair of sharpness. I mean, you'd have to put your face right up to your flat panel to see the difference, so that's pretty much it. I think most people would be fine at medium. The other thing that was added is the optimal sampling mode for 480p input sources when at, uh, outputting 1440p. So the last firmware update uh, added this optimal sampling to 1080p under, uh, 1080p fill, and 480p, and now it's also added to 1440p, which is very cool. I played a lot on this mode, and uh, it was it was pretty sharp. I have another screenshot. Uh, I used the same 
game that I did last time, both because Fudo recommended it and I thought it was a good choice, but also so you could go back to the previous firmware update in this and compare it if, uh, if you'd like to see the differences with all of the different resolutions there as well. There's also updated scanline modes, which I didn't show examples of because respectfully, they never look right. Even if I recorded it in uh, 4K 60 and you watched it in 4K 60 on, you know, on a, a big 4K TV, you still have the issue of compression even just on YouTube or something, which ruins the look of scan lines. So I'll just explain them very quickly and recommend you should just kind of give it a try yourself. Um, First, it now has 25%, 50%, 80%, and 100 integer percent modes for scanline generation. So basically more brightness modes to be added, uh, which depending on your TV, if you're a fan of artificial scanlines, it's really good to mess around and see what fits best for how close you're sitting, how big your TV is, etc. Also, 480p style scan lines could be applied to deinterlaced 480i content now. And that's interesting and certainly worth taking a moment to discuss. So at the, uh, up until this firmware, if you added scan lines to 480i input sources, it looked exactly like scan lines would have looked on a CRT. And I actually really loved this effect. I thought some games just felt really perfect with this on here. However, um, if you were really looking for that 480p scan lines look, so like what a Dreamcast would have looked like on, you know, on a VGA monitor back in the day, that's not the same look. And I do completely understand that mentality of, hey, if we're deinterlacing this, why can't we fake it to look more like 480p native would have? And that's what this new style of scan lines can do. You could add this on to 480i input sources and try to get it to look a little bit more like a native 480p source with scan lines would look. So a very cool mode, but once again, it's something that you just have to try for yourself because it's going to look different on every display and it's going to get compressed to heck if I tried to do it in a video or something. Um, also, updating the firmware on the RetroTank 5X is super easy. So please check out the video that I did uh, a month or so ago that shows how to do it. Uh, the video is way longer than the update takes. I think the video is like five minutes long or something. And once you get used to it, the update takes like two minutes. So uh, I would just use that for reference, but it's a super easy update. And I, as always, I strongly recommend everybody get all of these newer firmware updates. And if you do find any bugs, just like we found last time, Mike's obviously been jumping on this stuff uh, and really just hitting everything that comes through. Uh, I've been very impressed always at RetroTink firmware updates, but it's been great too for the, any of the people who are able to get the RetroTink 5X. And when the new batch is able to come up for sale, at least you know that now you have an even more stable product than was already stable before. So it's very cool to see this stuff come in. So check out the post for more info. Uh, and if you already own a RetroTink, definitely update it. I just released a video called Choosing the Right Cable for Your Classic Console, which is the first in a Getting Started series that I'm going to be putting out over the next few months. And the basics of this video is for your average person who just wants info on how to connect their classic consoles to CRTs or flat panels, watch the first nine minutes of it, uh, nine-ish, maybe 9.30 or something. And that should give you everything that you need to at least get started figuring out, okay, I have these consoles, I have these cables, I have this display, what do I do with it? Um, and then the next half of the video is just more detailed explanation of what's up with SCART. 
why are there voltage issues? There's visualizations of the voltage and different things. Um, I, I got a few things wrong, but they were it was wording. I really didn't mean I, I I didn't mean to say wrong facts, but it was more like I think this could have been called when I I really should have said you should visualize it as not I don't know. It, it's still pretty good as far as uh, as far as I know and as far as the as far as the feedback has been, and I think it's a good resource for trying to figure out what the whole big deal of SCART cables has been the past few months. I talked about that part before, so I'll skip to the end. I won't go through that, but basically SCART cables that are built wrong have given SCART a bad name. Um, and the cable manufacturers who make good cables have tried to do things to compensate, to try to help integrate your other cables, like that adapter for the Framemeister I showed. That was designed as a Band-Aid to help people who already bought bad cables. And uh, I really just wanted to clear up the confusion about it, because uh, I think it's very easy to accidentally spread misinformation. And if you don't have the whole story, it's so easy to hear somebody like, you know, especially when a respected developer in the retro gaming community has a complaint about SCART or C-Sync or something else. It's very easy to hear that and go, holy crap, is my cable bad? Am I not supposed to use that? You know, why is it bad? And I think this clarifies all of that. And I did make the point a couple of times that if you've bought links from retro RGB that you're fine. And I did not do that as shameless self-promotion a little bit, but it was more because I got so many messages over the past few months, uh, ranging from questions to blaming me for linking to bad cables. And I just wanted to make sure that I, as politely as possible, way more polite than I'm being right now, just let everybody know. If you bought a cable through a link on RetroRGB, it's because I bought that cable too and tested it. Uh, and probably even have been corresponding with the people who sell them just to give feedback and stuff like that. So I just wanted to put everybody's mind at ease. You know, if you bought something, you know, there, there's always exceptions to the rule. You could have had something that showed up defective. You could have bought something that a few years later you find you could have a better version of just like, you know, cars, computers, and everything else in the world. But as far as safety is concerned, you know, you really don't have to worry about anything. And I also hopefully clarified the whole, you know, it's probably easiest to use composite video as sync in most scenarios. But if you want to use C-Sync, that's awesome too, as long as you get it right. If you don't get it right, that's where you're in big trouble. So I don't know. Hopefully this stuff, uh, hopefully I was able to clarify everything. The other part of the Getting Started series I'm going to do, basically it's just going through like how to understand how to get into this stuff. And there's probably going to be three or four videos. Uh, and then I'll do a deeper dive series and something like that. And I'm trying to also update the information on the website as well. But this is all super overwhelming. Uh, it's, and I mean that in a good way. I do love doing this stuff. But it's going to take a few months for me to get this all straightened out. But hopefully I'll be able to put together a series that anybody of any skill level could just walk up and either watch a couple of videos or read on the website or both and be able to just confidently understand why do I need to spend $60 on a retro tank when my TV already has composite video inputs and that crazy wacky YouTuber said this $20 adapter works fine. Like, I just want to make sure that all of that information is clear because I want people to spend their money in the right places and not waste it on stuff because that's the two things that people have said to me a lot over the years when I meet them at expos, back when those were a thing, um, number one is, do you have any idea how much money I've spent because of your podcast? <laughs> Which makes me laugh because there is a bunch of cool stuff that I always get excited over. And the number two is always, I wish I'd found your site sooner. 
because I'd wasted so much money on junk before I realized it was junk. And that one kind of breaks my heart. So hopefully this Getting Started series will help. I, of course, will need all of your help promoting it because the algorithm does not like the way I do videos. I am by no means supposed to do a video the way this one was done. I was supposed to release, the, you know, a 10-minute and 30-second video that's meant for everybody and then ramble longer if I needed to make it to 10 minutes and then the, a second video on a second channel that's for the more technical stuff, knowing that it's not going to get a lot of clicks. I refuse to do that. I, I mean, I have respect for YouTubers, but that's not me. I'm trying to get information out there to people in the easiest way possible. So that's why you have a video like this one where most people will probably drop off at the 10-minute mark and uh, you know maybe come back later and finish it. So... As always, suggestions, are, uh, I'm all ears. I'll listen to whatever anybody has to say. I just really want to get these videos right, and I really want to help as many people as I can. So I'll stop word vomiting now, but uh, thank you for watching and hopefully sharing this as well. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions posted a video a while back about a new Game Boy Advance kit with an IPS screen and composite video out. And I've been holding off on posting about this because I asked Tito to do some research and some testing on that composite video port, which we'll get to in a second. So basically, this is a standard IPS screen mod that has been fairly typical in the past year for the Game Boy Advance. It's pretty good quality. Everything seems cool, except it also adds composite video out through the link port. And the link port seems to retain its functionality as well. So basically, or at least functionality when it's in handheld mode. Uh, when you activate composite video out, you hold select right and left for five seconds. Hopefully I'm reading that correctly. And then when you do, it outputs composite video that Tito confirmed is 240p. So it's not like those old innovation adapters where you'd get 480i uh, output and it was the wrong aspect ratio. It was pretty cool, but there was many more solutions since then. 10 years ago, that would have been a pretty neat adapter to have. But now between the Game Boy interface, the Game Boy Advance consoleizer, and those open source Game Boy Advance stuff that I've talked about over the past few months, there's a, a lot better than the innovation adapter. However, this one seems pretty neat. Now, if you're playing on a CRT, I always say I like the way composite video looks. I demonstrated that pretty well in the, the video from a few days ago. But if you're going onto a flat panel, or if, maybe even if you're streaming, this, you know, through a retro tank, I don't really know if this would be the best solution. It might be if you're just a casual gamer who mostly plays on the Game Boy Advance, but sometimes wants to have fun and either uh, play on a flat panel or something, I would look into it. But if you're playing on a CRT, it should look pretty good. Uh, it's got a border around it, which is good. It means it's not stretching or changing the image. It's a one-to-one -one image um, that has a border just like you would with all of the others. Uh, and it, it looks decent. Uh, Tito took some screenshots with his um, Elgato software and, you know, for composite, it's pretty good. So overall, I think this is a kit where it's going to have its niche market. Not everybody is going to want one of these, but there's definitely people out there that would want a fairly inexpensive kit that uh, you could just probably install yourself, doesn't need anything too crazy, that you'd be able to get some kind of video output on it. And of course, the video out, just like uh, the regular Game Boy Advance screen, would also work for Game Boy and Game Boy Color too. Uh, so overall, it's pretty neat. I would definitely check out Tito's video, and if you're interested in a little more specifics on the composite video out, check out the post itself, but very glad to see more options and less expensive options for the Game Boy Advance. Here's something I never thought I'd say out loud. 
The developer Apocalypse is working on an adapter that allows you to play Game Gear games on a Sega Master System. Now, there's a bunch of very awesome and potential problems with this, but the biggest problem by far is that they need a place to source Game Gear cartridge slots. So while, yes, using a Game Genie and hacking that up is fine for a prototype or two, I don't think anybody would like to see old Game Gears or old Game Genies get completely destroyed for one of these adapters. So they're looking to source them anywhere. So if anybody could help with this, please, please do. Whether it's finding a source, um, whether it's making your own, I'm not sure how that would be done, but I've seen some pretty incredible things in the 3D printing world. And it is small enough, so doing an injection molded run wouldn't cost a billion dollars like some of the bigger things out there. It's potentially something that could be made in bulk for not too much money. So if anybody has the ability to help with that, please, please contact the developer. Just go right onto the Arcade Projects forum. But some more info on this adapter itself. Um, this the biggest problem with this, and the reason that one of these did never exist from Sega, is that while both the Sega Master System and Game Gear are incredibly similar, and they could both display 32 colors on the screen at the same time, the SMS is pulling from a palette of 64 colors, whereas the Game Gear is pulling from a palette of over 4,000 colors. So what this adapter is doing is manually changing that on the fly. Uh, I believe the exact description was uh, dropping the two least significant bits for each color. So that could end up looking great, or it could end up looking weird depending on the game, but that's something that just needs to kind of be seen. The only other issue is that most of these Game Gear games were actually able to draw more of the screen than you could see on a Game Gear. And the issue for that is the SMS's screen resolution is 256 by 192, and the Game Gear's is 160 by 144. So for in the case of Master System games that reported to the uh, over to the Game Gear, very often just a few things were changed and the HUDs were moved down, and it's essentially the same game. So those would look fine, but if that was the case, you'd probably just want to end up playing the Master System version on your SMS anyway. For the rest of the games, the developers only concentrated on that 160 by 144 window and didn't really care or probably even see what was going on outside of that. So there's very often a lot of garbage and a lot of uh, effects that are around the outside. I'm not sure if Apocalypse is able to put a border around that, just a black border to prevent that from being seen, or if that's just something we'd have to deal with. And that's something that the Game Gear to SMS software conversions, so the patches for the ROMs, you have to pre-patch them, not in real time, um, that's something that they handled manually. And sometimes they just created a border and deleted the stuff on the outside. Sometimes they integrated the full resolution of the SMS, so you'd be able to do things like utilize the full screen and not just play it on a window. SMS games are kind of windowed anyway, but you know it, there are solutions when you tackle each individual game that I don't think would be possible on an adapter. Although having a, just a black border around it should be fine, or maybe even cool other borders that people could add. Who knows? I'm totally speculating on that one. And the last few things that we're able to get over are BIOS checks um, and the ability to hit start. And I think at the moment it's mapped to pause like many of the SMS or Game Gear SMS hacks were before, but pauses on the SMS itself. So it would be very cool if it also supported Genesis controllers with the start button. So this is a project that I'm super, super excited about. I think it's got the potential to be awesome. Apocalypse also has a basic design for a 3D printed case. Um, 
I just think it needs some more testing, but most importantly, as I said before, it needs the Game Gear cartridge slot. So if we could figure out a way to get those, I'm sure Apocalypse will do a little more work on it before putting it up for sale, and hopefully the rest of the problems could be solved. Maybe, and this is once again, I'm not a software developer, this is speculation, but maybe there'll be a button on it that allows you to cycle between, you know, different color change randomly. Or maybe there's another button that could toggle a black border on and off or something. I, I don't really know, but I hope uh, I hope that if cartridge slots are found and the potential for production happens, that things like this would be tackled and, uh, you know, at the very least, we'll get the questions answered and see for ourselves. But... I'm just pretty excited because, I mean, I had a whole page on RetroRGB describing how this could never be done. And anybody watching this, seeing with their own eyes, this absolutely is possible and being done right now. So hopefully this is something we'll all be able to purchase at some point. But for the last time, please try to find us a Game Gear cartridge slot in bulk, not one or two. Being able to buy them in the hundreds or maybe even thousands if you have to. Okay, now it's time to pick the winner for the Rourke giveaway of the clear controller. Um, this is an NES controller with his clear shell and clear buttons. This also has the convex buttons, not concave, so it's Game Boy style. And I also included the original yellowed case just because I don't waste any of this stuff. Um, if you want more info on exactly what this is, please check out last week's podcast. And especially if you want more info on Rourke, the crazy story of the stuff that he went through, and of course the link to the GoFundMe, please, please click on that video. Uh, it's a very scary podcast to listen to, especially if anybody's been in a car accident, you know, be careful. You might be triggered listening to that. Uh, and, you know, if possible, please consider donating to the GoFundMe. But as always, uh, I like to do these giveaway drawings in real time so everybody can see that uh, it's all legit. It's a little rambly and it takes uh, a little longer. So um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I am actually doing it legit. So filtering uh, by the people who posted giveaway, filter duplicate users, which means that you could post a thousand times and it's uh, it just counts as one. Include replies to comments. That's just in case somebody replied to somebody else. And filter comments based on the word giveaway. So... Uh, let me get the YouTube comments. It's loading up. Should only take a few moments. And now we're going to hit start. And it's the Kip Blaster. Uh, the Kip Blaster is now the winner of this very awesome controller shell. Uh, please just post in the comments of this video right here. Um, and I will, uh, I'll make sure that I can get this out to you. Uh, shipping's on me. So uh, just enjoy this. It's very awesome. And if, once again, all of you could spread the word about, uh, about Rourke's recovery. He's still doing great. Still got a great attitude. Better than I would have had. Uh, and there is still that GoFundMe that any donation would definitely be appreciated. So congrats to the Kip Blaster, and hopefully I'll hear from you in the comments soon. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and of course, thank you to everybody that supports in any way possible. Links to all of the different support options are below, and it's what's keeping the podcast, the YouTube channel, the website, and all of the behind-the-scenes research alive. So thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you next week.